representing Zion. My name is Jennifer Colby, and I am one of the directors here at Zion. On behalf of all of us on staff and those who call Zion home, welcome. We are so glad to have you this morning. It's Valentine's Day. I hate Valentine's Day. What an awkward holiday. Fake roses, candy hearts with like cutesy words on them, teddy bears. It's kind of a weirdo of a day. But my main problem is that my main problem with it is that I don't know how to make it less awkward for some of you. For some of you, the words Happy Valentine's Day like warms your heart. But for some of you, it makes you want to like vomit or cry even. And this is my first time here on stage. And so if I make you cry or vomit, they're definitely never letting me come back. So here's what we're going to do instead. I'm going to read you some brutally honest Valentine's Day cards uh, from kids in hopes that I can elicit some laughs. Dear mom, I love you. You're doing a great job of not burping at my bus stop. Happy Valentine's Day. Mom and dad, you are lucky you're alive. Happy Valentine's Day. Yikes. Here's a Valentine's Day poem for you. Valentine's Day is cool. You are too. You could be better, but I like you. Uh, basically, you're okay-ish. Here's one from Miss Johnson. She is a great teacher. She's not on the Jedi Council but she is great with the force. And my personal favorite, mommy, I love you. Sometimes, followed by seven exclamation points. This kid really meant that. The truth is Valentine's Day just sucks for some of us. I don't know if I can say that up here, but it does, it just sucks. I know some of people love this day, and for those of you who it does, this day highlights your happiness. But the problem for many of us is that this day, Valentine's Day, highlights just how unhappy we are at least in the area of relationships. For some of us, we're unhappy that we haven't found the one yet, and we're reminded yet again how lonely we are. Some of us are missing loved ones uh, who have gone before us, and, and today just breaks our heart. We're sad. For still others of us, this day just rehashes the wounds from our divorce. And some of us are reminded that our unhappiness in our marriage, that it just continues to be in a rough patch. And so other of us are just plain annoyed we have to buy such a silly gift for a day like today. Now, I don't want you to hear me say that being single means you're unhappy or, or that being in an unhappy marriage means that you don't experience happiness. I'm just simply saying that Valentine's Day magnifies our feelings of unhappiness in those areas. And that's why I hate it. And here's the thing. I want to be happy. I think happiness gets a bad rap in the Christian world. Oh, you don't want happiness, you want joy. That's what you really want. Of course I want joy. King David tells us in the Psalms that God's presence is the fullness of joy. In the New Testament, Paul tells us that joy is the fruit of the Spirit and, and that joy comes from the hope we have in Christ. James told us, we're even told that we get to consider the trials of this life as pure joy, knowing that it's through those trials that God is perfecting us. I want joy. I want you to have joy, but I also want happiness. And I think our God wants us to experience happiness as well. Just the overall state of being happy. I actually think it would be kind of cruel of him to not want that for us. As a mom, I want my children to be happy, to have the expressions of happiness, to laugh, to feel good. And, and if me, a flawed, imperfect human wants those things, those good things for my child. How much more so does our perfect father in heaven? 
We want joy. Yes, of course. But also happiness. And so enter the Beatitudes. For the last several weeks, we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount, a sermon straight from Jesus to his disciples, in which he gives us the Beatitudes, the words that begin with the phrase, blessed are. In fact, one of the definitions of blessed in this text is happy. The Beatitudes are God's prescription to being happy, to experiencing happiness and to living a happy life. But there's so much more than that. But with that in mind, let me recap the last couple of weeks. Happiness begins by being poor in spirit, by realizing that we bring nothing and can do nothing to earn our salvation. There's happiness in mourning. Happiness in mourning is Jesus' comforting presence. Happiness is being weak. And happiness is being meek, not weak, meek, and surrendering to God and his will. And happiness is hungering and thirsting for God, for craving him, because he will fill you. Now, let me be clear and say that not one of these beatitudes alone by, by themselves leads to the happy life. No, they're, they're connected, they're part of a whole. They're all together necessary in order to experience happiness. You might be poor in spirit, but if you're not also thirsting for righteousness, happiness will elude you. You can't do one and not the other and expect to be happy. It is through the combination of all of the Beatitudes, through the totality of them all, that happiness can be experienced. But happiness is more than just an emotional state. It's having God's approval. Daniel Doriani says this, real happiness blessedness comes from mature character. But let's also take a minute to talk about motivation. Do not hear me say that all you need to do is follow the Beatitudes in order to be happy. If your motivation for following the instructions in the Beatitudes is to be happy, then you've missed the point already. The Beatitudes are the characteristic God expects of the citizens of his kingdom. They're the values of Christ's disciples. They are a reflection of the character of God. They are a way to be, not a thing to do. Follow the Beatitudes because you love Jesus and you desire to follow him. That's the motivation. Happiness is simply a wonderful byproduct of living the life that God wants you to live. And don't you think it's just so cool that our God gives us characteristics, he desires characteristics of us that also somehow give the person who exhibits them happiness? I think that's so cool that the God of the universe says, here, do these things, be these things, because this is what I want my kingdom to look like. And oh, by the way, if you do, it will also bring you happiness. And while we're on the topic of motivation, let's also talk about the declaration and promise that Pastor Jason mentioned last week. He said that each beatitude contains both a declaration and a promise. Here's the thing. If we follow the, if the reason we follow the, if the reason we follow the declaration is so that we can receive the promise, we've missed the point again. For example, do not become meek just so you can inherit the earth. That's not what God's saying here. In Christ Jesus, we've already been given the promise of the Beatitudes, all of them. They're already yours. Nothing you or I could do could earn us the fulfillment of God's promises. God's promises are not based on our performance. They are based on his faithfulness. And God is faithful to his word. We get the fulfillment of God's promises 
because he says so. The promises are good, but they are not better or more worth pursuing than the promiser. Jesus is our aim. Now you might be wondering, so if I'm not supposed to follow the Beatitudes to be happy, and if I'm not supposed to follow them to receive the promise, then why am I supposed to follow them? And that's a really great question. But hold on to that thought though, and let me come back to it. We're continuing in Matthew chapter five. If you've brought your Bible or, or you have the Bible app, feel free to read along with me. We're in verse seven. Jesus is continuing his prescription for happiness. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, we already know that the Greek word for blessed in this verse means fortunate or happy. But what does it mean to be, what does it mean to be merciful? Well, in a word, it's being moved by compassion to action. There are two kinds of mercy, practical mercy and spiritual mercy. Practical mercy is having so much compassion that it causes you to meet the needs, the physical needs that other people have. These are basic human needs, food, water, shelter, health, safety. Scriptures tell, tell us that Jesus was often moved by compassion to meet practical needs. In Matthew 15, 32, Jesus said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may, be, they may collapse on the way. The Greek word for compassion in this verse uh, was actually used to describe the upper organs of animals. Sounds kind of disgusting, but it's like the heart, lungs, and liver. So when Jesus says he has compassion, he's saying he feels it so deeply inside of him, it's almost painful. So what did he do about it? He miraculously fed them, 4,000 of them, in fact. And actually, he would later go on to feed them again, uh, or at least feed thousands again, and likely the crowds, the people were in both crowds. This means Jesus continued to have compassion on them. It wasn't just a one and done kind of thing. In Luke 7, 13, Jesus saw a widow, a mother, whose only son had recently died. And we're told, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. His heart went out to her and he tells this woman not to cry. But he says that because he's a, a, he knows that he's about to perform a miracle. So what did he do? He brought the son back to life. He resurrected him. In Matthew 14, verse 14, we're told, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Jesus is a practical God. He meets practical needs. Showing mercy in a practical way really isn't that complicated. Jesus saw the people, had compassion on their suffering, and then met their needs. It seems easy enough. So why is it so hard for some of us? Jesus saw the people. Do you know what that implies? That implies he was looking for them. I actually think for our God, he can't not see them. For us, we have to be looking. We have to open our eyes to the hurting people around us, to the physical needs they have. And then when we see them, we actually have to see them as people, as people whom Jesus valued and loved so much that he died for them, as people who are known by him. 
It's so easy sometimes to just turn our eyes away and choose not to see them. We have to be looking for them. And then secondly, when we see them, our hearts must be moved with compassion for them in their suffering. We can't just let them sink or swim. That's, that's not mercy. Our compassion drives us to relieve that suffering by actually meeting a practical need. And so Jesus, when he saw a need, he acted. He met their physical needs. He provided. I'm going to be so bold and say that through the Holy Spirit living inside of you, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, you too could feed 4,000 people. You too could raise the dead. You could heal the sick. You could, but it doesn't need to be that extreme. If there's a practical need, do what you can, when you can. And if you don't know what to do, then pray and ask. Ask God what he would like you to do and then be obedient in that. Practical mercy is just looking for people, seeing them, being moved by their suffering, and then acting all in Jesus' name. Because here's the thing, meeting practical needs without Jesus is just charity. And I'm not asking you to be charitable. The world doesn't need more charity. The world needs more Jesus. Charity is good, but Jesus is better. I'm asking you to be merciful and to let charity flow from that mercy in Jesus' name. Providing mercy through practical means is just a way to open that door. And lastly, I need to ask, if the sufferings of this world don't break your heart, then why not? Because they broke Jesus' heart. If that's the case for you, and I think it's worth asking the question, Lord, what's causing this misalignment between your heart and mine? Why am I not in agreement with you on this? Jesus' compassion comes from his knowledge that some things just aren't the way he created them to be. And so the ones the people he so dearly loves suffer for it. In his goodness, there's, there's just this compulsion inside of him to relieve that suffering. Does it exist in us? Do you want to know who are merciful people? Children. Children see physical needs and it moves them to action. Uh, a couple weeks ago, my family and I went to Phoenix and, and there's a lot of homelessness in Phoenix. Now, first, I need to admit to you that um, my heart can be kind of hard in this area. I've just, I've just seen a lot of fraud and, and scams over the years instead of actual real need. And so my heart is hardened some, but my daughter's heart has not. And one night in Phoenix, we were walking into Target and we saw a woman, a very talented woman, and she was playing the violin with some background music attached to it. And she had a sign that said, I have two kids and need money to buy food. God bless. We walked into the store and our daughter basically harassed us the entire time. We were in the store about giving money to this woman. Mom, can we give her some money? But mom, she has kids. But mom, she knows Jesus. And to that, I was like, how do you know she knows Jesus? And she was like, because mom, her sign said, God bless. She did this the entire time we were in the store. And as we were checking out, she had finally convinced us to give some money to this woman. But when we walked out, the woman had left. And instead, there was a man. And he was playing the violin to some background music. 
with the same sign the woman had. And so what do you think went through my mind? It's a scam, they're just performers trying to make money. But do you wanna know what my daughter said? She said, I bet that's the dad. That's practical mercy, that your heart is so broken that you cannot let it go, that your heart is so moved with compassion that not only do you not judge the person's motivations, you assume the best. That you're so bothered by someone else's situation that you brainstorm and pray and, and as in my daughter's case, harass even to do something, anything to help. It's being so heartbroken by someone else's situation that it causes us to meet that need for them. Merciful people see the suffering of other people, the agony of their situations, and they're just moved by compassion to relieve it. And since we're talking about it, I just want to take a moment to share a really great opportunity coming up here at Zion. On uh, April 10th, uh, Z Kids and Missions are teaming up to, to do a Joppa Family Missions Day. They're uh, taking families from Zion to Des Moines to serve the homeless there. If that's something that you're interested in, or if you want an opportunity to practice mercy, uh, check out our website or um, talk to uh, Kate Garner or Megan Dennis. Being practically merciful, seeing people as Jesus sees them and providing for them in practical ways feels really good. It, it feels like you're doing the thing God wants you to do. And that's because you are. And it makes you happy. That's practical mercy. It's the easier of the two types of mercy. Uh, spiritual mercy is much harder to do in practice, and it's also more important. Some scholars believe that the Beatitudes are, are kind of broken up into three parts and, and that there's a progression to them. So the first part is the first three Beatitudes, the blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. These are the spiritual needs of the disciples. These are the things you need to be if you want to be a Christ follower. And then the last three, the Beat, last three Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemaker. They are the direct results, the, the spiritual consequences, if you will, the tangible actions of the first three. And that they're connected by the fourth Beatitude here in the middle. Uh, they're connected by the desire to, and, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. The idea is that hungering for God's righteousness causes you to also hunger for the good of others. In this view, blessed are the poor in spirit is directly related to blessed are the merciful and they're linked by the quest for righteousness. One flows out of the other. And here's why I bring this up. Being spiritually merciful comes from a place of, of knowing our own brokenness, of knowing that there's just nothing you can do to earn your salvation. And so once you know that, once you are poor in spirit, you begin to crave God and the filling of his righteousness. And that righteousness should then flow out. And the result is mercy. It's, it's coming into God's kingdom and then taking it to the world. Mercy is seeing other people's spiritual conditions, their sinful brokenness, their weakness. And instead of judging or condemning, you have compassion because you understand what it's like to be there. And this kind of heartache of, of knowing just what it's like to be broken and, and to need a savior causes you to radically love them in action and to share the gospel with them. It causes you to want to relieve their spiritual suffering. James Montgomery Boyce said this, mercy identifies with the miserable 
in their misery. Let me, I'll say that again. Mercy identifies with the miserable in the mercy. I'm sorry. Mercy identifies with the miserable in their misery. Being spiritually merciful is recognizing the miserable people in the midst of their misery. Titus chapter three, verse three through five uh, says it like this. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Jesus saved us because although he himself was perfect, he had compassion on our brokenness. It broke his heart that we were separated from God through our sin. And it caused him to move on our behalf and to go to the cross. The totality of Christ's mercy was displayed on that cross. And God wants us to have the same kind of mercy for other people. He wants us to be able to look and say, yeah, I was like that at one point too. I get it. I have been there. But listen, I know a guy and I'd be happy to introduce you to him if you'd like. Now let's take that one step further. It's one thing to have compassion on someone who has a similar sin as you, to someone you can actually relate to. You, you know the hurt your sin has caused. You understand the consequences of that sin. You have seen the effects of that sin on other people. But it's a whole other thing to have mercy on someone you cannot relate to or, or someone who has sinned against you or someone you just flat out do not like. And Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 6, but to you who are listening, and I, I, I hope that's us, but to you who are listening, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And he goes on to say, do to others as you would have them do to you. Jesus goes on to say that if we only do good to the people we like, we're not any different than anybody else in this world. Everybody else does that. Everyone else is kind and loving to the people they like. No, instead, all the things you do for the people you love, do those same things for the people you hate. All the things you, that you, oh, sorry. All the things you do for the people you can relate to, do those same things for the people you cannot relate to. And Jesus finishes by saying that he is kind even to the ungrateful and wicked. So we too should be kind to them. He tells us, be merciful, just as I am merciful. There are a lot of sins that many of you probably cannot relate to. You, you may not have sinned through addiction or abortion or abuse, but that shouldn't stop us from being merciful anyway. Because even though you may not have personally committed a particular sin, you know what it's like to be a sinner. We share that experience with everyone. So love your enemies. Do good for them. Mercy is not earned. It's not deserved. And it's not owed. But what does spiritual mercy look like? 
well, <laughs> to the person who's hurt you or offended you, or to the person you cannot relate to, or to the first time you have a hard time liking, it looks like this. Mercy is not judging them. It's not condemning them. It, it's never retaliatory. It's, it's taking that record of wrongs and tearing it up and never holding it against them again. Mercy for the one who's hurt you is forgiveness. It's love. It's love even to your enemies. It's blessing them, especially to the ones who have hurt you. You offer mercy to the one who's mistreated you when you pray for them. It involves generosity with no goal of ever being repaid or having the favor returned. Mercy is, mercy is doing good. Mercy is doing good even and especially to your enemies. And guess what? That's happiness. That's the truly happy life. Doing good even to those who don't deserve it. That's experiencing a level of happiness that some people in this world may never know. Aligning your heart with the heart of the king through, uh, through action just feels so good. And here's the thing. We can do these things. We can be merciful because we have the Holy Spirit in us and because God is merciful with us. And you know what? He's merciful with your enemies too. And, and you and I, we were once enemies of God as well, but he loved us enough to do good for us. We're reminded in the New Testament that through mercy, we were reconciled to God through Christ Jesus on the cross. And thinking about that cross and thinking our perfect, sinless son of God on that cross should invoke a deep sense of compassion for suffering. And honestly, that's our big idea for this week. We show mercy for those who suffer, whether physically or spiritually, because through Christ's suffering, we were shown mercy. And earlier, we, we talked about what should motivate us to be merciful. And that's the reason. Jesus on the cross, that's the reason. It's out of our gratitude for that, that, that we could have compassion and mercy for others. The phrase, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy, seems to indicate if, if we're merciful, then we will also receive mercy. But actually, what it means is, we should be merciful because we have already received mercy. We received mercy when Jesus was on the cross and we continue to receive his mercies new each day. So we don't do it to get it. We, we do it because we already have it. We show mercy out of the gratitude for the mercy we've been shown. Ephesians 2, 4, uh, 4 through 5 says it this way. Because of his great love for us, God, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Christ's mercy didn't mean he overlooked our sin. He didn't overlook our transgressions. He dealt with them. Hallelujah. That is our reason to be merciful. Mercy is an act of faith, of God transforming our heart. And so in that, Guess what? Mercy also becomes a form of worship, a sacrifice that is pleasing to him. But here's the really crazy part. 
uh, in Hosea 6.6, Hosea being in the Old Testament, we're told that Christ would rather have our mercy towards his people than our sacrifices towards him. That means he would rather forego the worship that he is so worthy and so deserving to receive for himself so that his beloved children could receive mercy from one another. He desires mercy more than worship. It's a big deal to him. But mercy done in Jesus' name does glorify God. It does become a sacrifice to him, a pleasing sacrifice to him. And therefore, mercy is something we should be eager to do and something we should do cheerfully. A couple weeks ago, uh, Pastor Jason gave us a challenge to pray and to ask God what breaks, ask God to break our heart for what breaks his. Well, this week, I want to leave you with this challenge. Who's someone you, you personally need to show mercy to? What's the thing that breaks your heart that is now moving you to compassion? And once you know it, then go do it. So see others, have compassion for them. Understand their sin causes them to suffer and then introduce them to the one, to the only one who can relieve that suffering and meet their need of forgiveness and salvation. And believe me, you do this and you will find the happy life. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for going to that cross. Thank you for exhibiting your mercy upon us on, those, on that wood, Lord. Thank you because you had such a great compassion, because you saw our brokenness, because it, it broke your heart that we couldn't be with a holy God, that you did something, that your compassion moved you to act on my behalf. God, I pray that out of that mercy, out of the mercy that we've already been shown and received, that we can go out and be merciful to those around us. Open our eyes, God. There are people you want us to see. Open our eyes so that we see them. And then God, may we obediently follow you. Jesus, thank you that you give us happiness. Thank you that you want us to be happy. I love that about you, Lord. God, be with us for the rest of the day and for this week. And God, may we love you well and love others well. In Jesus' name, amen.